Hey Podnuts, Corey here from Instant House Call. Whether you're a break-fix tech who needs to provide remote support on demand without pre-installed software, or a managed service provider who wants to connect to unattended PCs anytime, Instant House Call makes remote support easy. I want to invite you to try Instant House Call free for yourself. Go to podnuts.com and click on the link in the show notes, then use the promo code PODNUTS. Instant House Call is the best remote support on earth. We can prove it. Try it free now and see for yourself. Welcome to PodNuts Daily, episode number 490, a show for computer repair techs by computer repair techs. I am your host, Jeff Alish. Today, I'm joined by Mike Wise from Clockwork Networks. Welcome to the show, Mike. Jeff, thanks for having me. Awesome. It's good to have you. And why don't we go ahead and start off the show and tell a little bit about yourself and how you got started in computer repair. Sure. Uh, so, Jeff, it story starts back in the 1980s. It was in the early 80s as a high school kid and uh, had a good friend whose dad was an engineer. And he had a Heathkit computer with uh, dual eight-inch floppy drives and a Commodore PET, probably some other computers. And, wow, we just spent hours and hours, and we just spent so much time on those machines. And at that time, I bought myself a Commodore 64, and um, that's when it started for me. And then flash forward 10 years, and now it's the early 90s. I'm in my early 20s, and uh, I'm working at a software um, retail store. And at this time, I now had an IBM XT uh, 8088 and 486SX, 25 megahertz with DOS 5.0. And at this point, I know every single DOS command. I am all in. And um, it was the my manager at the time. Um, he says, you know, computer networking is going to be a thing. You might want to get out of the software store and uh and uh seek your fortune in that and and sure enough i uh i started uh training or or learning about novell netware at the time that was one of the predecessors or one of the larger uh networking solutions uh one day you know soon it would then become the windows nt platform but I got certified in it. And these were those kinds of tests that you need to take like eight or nine tests and uh, everything from the OSI stack to DOS to um, uh, creating user accounts. And it was intense and I got it. I got that cert- that CNE, it was called the Certified Netware Engineer and um, landed a job for a, at a government contractor. And this is in Northern Virginia where I grew up. And the uh, as a help desk technician. And I loved it. I loved it. If it was a help desk job to do, if I could upgrade a computer's uh, memory or hard drive or anything, you know, I want to solve the problem. And it, my, after just a year or two, my manager's manager uh, left the company to head out west to Microsoft. And not long after, my manager left to, to for a similar great opportunity and and suddenly it's me this 25 year old kid that is now reporting directly to a senior vice president and back then there was no it department it was there was no cio it was like where do we want to put the smart kid that knows how to run 
you know, the email system. <laughs> and the the vice presidents, there was a handful of them. They were like, uh, this year I want them. And like, you know, the next year it's like, I want them this year. And, you know, so it was kind of cool, um, exciting times. And um, I uh, got married and my wife's career was actually really booming. And uh, her career took us both out to Denver, Colorado. And uh, that's where we are now. This is 1998. So we've been here in Denver for almost almost 10, uh, 20 years. Gee. And um, so I had an opportunity to, to finish my undergrad degree while her career was booming. And that's what I did. Went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Um finished my degree in electrical and computer engineering. And I thought, I'm going to push this further if I can and get more under the hood. And uh, maybe I could do some exciting work with, I don't know, uh, developing software or uh, FPGAs and video cards and whatever, something exciting like that. Well, um, I got, uh, when I graduated, I got grabbed up quickly by a large government contractor. And it was a systems engineering role with some software development. And, um, you know, it was an opportunity right out of college getting my degree. So I did it and I did it for 13 years. And um, this takes us to just a couple of years ago where I uh, decided that I really not, this really isn't my passion. And I got this opportunity, um, a large home developer, a Fortune 500 home uh, developer developer uh, that has their IT located on the East Coast, what they do is they contact uh, local IT folks to be the boots on the ground, if you will, where they break ground in a development and they have their staff, their construction staff and their sales staff at these um, development sites. And there's numerous ones. And in Colorado, development's booming. So, um, I had an opportunity to, uh, it would be a 1099 job. The hourly pay would be twice what I was making in corporate America. But of course, um, there was no guarantee of how many hours per week. And I had a good expectation. And I, and I knew this would not satisfy everything, but it would be a good platform. And it'd be a good excuse for me to now start, for the first time, start my own business. And, uh, and that's what I did. And I did that uh, two years ago. And I still do this, um, do this work for the home builder. And I'm trying to grow Clockwork Networks on top of that. And, and here we are today. Wow. That is a great story from uh, front to back. It sounds like you have gone through a lot of different things as uh, as you've learned the different things in the field. And so you decided to go into business for yourself after the last couple of years. Now, what were your expectations beyond just doing the home builder stuff? Did you have an idea or were you just kind of going, hey, let's see where this goes? Yeah, I I am still kind of a shiny object guy, um, kind of like well I I let's see so I I, ha I have some elbow room. What do I want to try out? Would it be uh, break fix residential? Um, and I started with that, and I uh, I guess over the past couple of years, I learned that um, well my expectations 
expectation was that would be great. And uh, but the thing is, I don't have a storefront. I have a home office, and I have my car. And um, I found that uh, through other opportunities, I came across that um, my real enjoyment is um, helping out small businesses, and that's what I'm emphasizing now. My uh, connecting with small businesses. And when I say small business, what I mean is a staff of say 10 or less with um, their own location. And um, typically they will not have a domain. Um, It'll be their own Windows or Mac machines. And they'll, I only have a couple of these clients, right? And um, and it's funny they don't they, they don't have servers everything's web based for them or cloud based for them now their storage um, their hosted email and uh, I love it I uh, I love supporting them and um, right now I'm becoming more and more excited about uh, sort of transitioning away from residential support to a more um, hybrid MSP model. Very good. I'm glad to hear you say hybrid because I, I believe that all MSPs are a hybrid of sorts. <laughs> I listen to your show. <laughs> oh, so now as far as going into these small businesses, are you running into things like where their email addresses are Janet at gmail.com or worse at yahoo.com or hotmail.com? And are you having to solve those types of problems for them right off the bat? Um, this is an interesting story. I this uh, business that I, I now support, they don't have a Gmail or Yahoo. They have hosted Exchange, right? But they have laptops. And um, one of their users uh, has a personal um, AOL dot com address, and the and sh- the user was it was convenient for her to occasionally use her personal email to contact clients business clients um and what happened was there was a, a time when uh, her AOL address book got hacked taken somehow and then what happened these business clients that she had been contacting occasionally with her AOL account were now were now getting spam from from air quote her right because her address book was stolen and that was kind of embarrassing for for the organization um so that kind that that's a true story uh that happens oh i i I see it all the time you somebody hands you a business card and it's a realtor or whatever and it's like whatever their name is or maybe their first initial last name at whatever, or worse, it might be some gobbledygook at Yahoo, Hotmail, whatever. And they, and I'm, I'm looking at him and going, you know, you're a professional. Shouldn't you act like a professional? But I guess a lot of people, they don't see that as good, bad, or indifferent. They just see it as a maybe not needed, or maybe they don't know how to set it up themselves. So they're just using what they're comfortable with at this point. It is a great opportunity to transition them to, 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 to something professional, um, and if they're amicable to it, they that that's just that's just the way to go. Yeah. 
And what always surprises me a little bit too is a lot of these people will have a lot of these small businesses will actually have a domain and they have a website set up with that domain, but they never thought to go the extra step and actually set up email accounts with that domain in mind. I haven't come across that yet. Um, I just have a couple business clients and I'm growing that. I, I imagine I have that to look forward to. Um, the uh, My uh, email chops still have uh, some, uh, you know, I can still get better at that. Uh, or I should say there's still a lot to learn. And um, But it's, look, you know, it's funny. Back in the early 90s, email was so difficult. It, it was, it was, it was hard. It really was. And, um, and the maintenance to back up like a, a CC mail database and, and such. And, and nowadays with, with hosted, uh, with hosted exchange and such, it's, I mean, it, it has its own challenges with, with Outlook, for example, but, um, I'm just so pleased that the management tools are so powerful nowadays. Now, what do you? Which side of the uh, equation do you fall on? Do you fall on the Office three sixty five or using G Suite? My clients typically use. Uh, you know what it is. I think, and, and I've heard this somewhere, and I, and I agree with it. I think a lot of the uh, small businesses are formal, uh, formal, formally. Um, corporate America and they're accustomed to Outlook and they think when they open up a business and start a business, it should be Outlook. It's very professional. And I, um, I find, and you know, I, I, I can come to expect that a lot of the new clients I get, I will inherit and, um, and they will have an email system in place. Now, personally, I have office, um, 365, but I don't use Outlook. I, (laughs) I use Gmail. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, all my accounts, all my email accounts right now are all Gmail accounts, uh, including the ones in my domain and my personal ones. And those all run through Outlook. And the only reason is, is I like the format of Outlook. I've never had a problem with it crashing. I don't, I I actually, I'm, I'm weird. I delete things and don't keep, tons of data and I, I do have a I do have a lot of emails that I save for receipts and different things like that but I don't keep absolutely everything that comes into my inbox so therefore even with seven email accounts running on Outlook I have zero problems now apparently there's a lot of people out there that they might have one or two emails coming into their Outlook and it crashes all the time and has all kinds of problems. So I've seen it from both sides where some people are Office 365, they like that, or they like the G Suite option too. It, it just depends on, I, in my opinion, I would learn one and go with that. To try to support two, I, I think it, it might get a little hairy. Good advice. I find that um, Outlook is... Very delicate. Um, it can be. Someone once said it's robust, <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not robust. <laughs> it's it has a lot of features. It it has a lot of features. It's not robust. It's delicate. Yes, yes. It, it you know, and I've seen others where they it, you know keep so much data that it does break it. It does slow it down and all that kind of stuff. So, 
Um, and I guess that's going to be your normal client, right? The clients are going to capture as much information as they possibly can. And most people are, in my opinion, even if you're not a hoarder in real life, most people are digital hoarders. And so they'll, they, because they have a digital camera or a phone, they'll take a thousand pictures where back in the day when you actually had to pay to get these pictures developed or pull your Polaroid out or whatever, and you're paying per picture, people were a little more selective of what they took pictures of. Now people just take pictures of everything and they save it all. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, even the is it the DSLR cameras the um just the 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 amount of memory you can I mean it's funny we went on we went on vacation and took one of these cameras because we knew we didn't want these memories to be captured by you know a, an iPhone camera and um, these cameras are so advanced now it's like it's it's as complicated as a point and click and you stick in like a sixty four gig uh, memory and. It just lasts forever, and you and we bought like four of them. I had no idea what to expect, and three of them are still in the in the you know the original packaging still, and and we took like two thousand pictures. So yes, it's so easy to hoard uh, photos now. <laughs> oh, so now let's see. So you're you're obviously you're out there supporting businesses. It sounds like that's that's the niche. That's the side you're going to is mostly doing that. Is there have you in the past supported residential and what do you like or not like about that? Got it. It's, it's complicated. I, I, you know, going back to, to my early days when it was like, I love to, uh, to fix problems. You want, you, you know, this machine needs more memory. I'm on it. I love it. And, um, the thing is, is one of the things that gets me, it gets me, you know, right, right in the heart with a uh, residential is that I'm a, I can be a pushover. And, you know, if I'm supporting, if someone refers me to like their, you know, 85 year old mom and, uh, she's on a fixed income and she needs work to be done, you know, I have a soft spot for, for residential. And, um, it's also tough in, in a different context where, here's a slow computer. Can you speed it up? And they hand me, some, uh, you know, a, a laptop with Windows Vista on it. And the reason it's slow is because it's so old. And, it, it you know, even if it was Windows 7 and it, it would have, you know, not enough memory and would greatly benefit from an SSD and after parts and labor, it's this is $350 to do this. And then the conversation comes up with, well, maybe I'll just buy a new laptop. You know, and it's just I find it it's complex with with residential with the how much does it cost to repair versus buying new granted for you're still going to get a slow laptop for four hundred dollars. But the. um, You know, versus the uh, the call from someone on, you know, a fixed income and you just want to do the right thing by them and and, you know, have them be able to you know, use their laptop and, and not sock them for a lot of money. It's, it's just harder that way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There is a lot more complication and you're not going to see the same things. A lot of times in businesses, if you're using a laptop manufacturer or a desktop manufacturer or a certain uh, switch manufacturer, or whatever it is, 
you're, you're understanding that stuff and you're knowing it from front to back, which is good in residential. You never know what you're going to get. So it is, it changes all the time. As far as the, the, the older population out there, I used to feel the same way until it got to the point where I saw how many were whipping out their credit cards and paying online scammers $450 a pop for them to fix their computer. And so I'm coming in afterwards, I'm charging a whole lot less than that. And then I'm going, okay, we need to file a police report. We need to, we need to, you know, cut up this credit card and stop it and, and take care of this because now they've got your information. And so when I started seeing that, it's like, I would rather, and here's, here's the thing. I, I think there's certain people that are, that are more towards the residential because that's what they enjoy. And I think everybody should pick their own niche. And then more people are towards the business. And then there's a lot of people who are kind of in the middle. And I, I still think the residential need to be taken care of. And so that's why I still continue to do, you know, do the residential because if not, who's going to do it? And, uh, I, you know, we're going to leave them up to the Microsoft scammers in said country and to, uh, you know, take them for all their money. And uh, I don't, I don't want to let that happen. So for me, it's like, I, I don't mind charging what I charge, which is, uh, you know, a decent rate. It's not definitely not free. Um, it's definitely cheaper than Best Buy <laughs> or, or any of your other big box stores out there. So when you look at it from that standpoint, I feel that I'm doing a service for the residential customers, but anyway. That, that is important. And yeah, I've, and, and the town I live in is, is growing, but it's a, it has a small town. Um, I, I live in Castle Rock, which is between Denver and Colorado Springs. And it's, um, you know, uh, this town was a lot different 20 years ago and even 40 years ago, so much more different. This is, the, you know, the Wild West. And um, it's got a, still a lot of uh, small town uh a type of um, mentality. And I do feel, and I feel that, and I get that from the town. And just like you said, I, I, that's why I, I don't turn around, turn away, you know, residential clients yet. Well, clearly I still have the bandwidth for it, but I agree with you. It's, it's, it's something in, in my case where I'm at something to do for the town and yes, you're right. They need it. Yeah. All right, so now you're out there and you're you're uh, are you starting to pick up different things, different vendors that you're using for your business, different hardware, um, anything that, or are you just kind of are you learning as you go and just using whatever's available at that time? That reminds me of um, the software that I had been using. And I, well, I currently am using, but I want to graduate from um, because I am learning as I go. And I listen to podcasts and I, I love getting uh, real life stories like from this show um, on what works for folks. And when I'm doing this hybrid MSP model, um, I've been putting together kind of a what I'll call a, a diet RMM of tools that I'd been 
actually really successful with, but it's time to, to move on. So I had been, or I am currently using Splashtop for remote access for both attended and unattended access, um, file transfer and chat. And I use Ninite Pro for third-party patch management. And it's funny, everyone says Ninite, and I always said Ninite. If you go to their website, and <laughs> if you click, uh, um, you know, one of the links, like it's called, like, learn how Ninite is pronounced. <laughs> they pronounce it Ninite. <laughs> um, I love Ninite Pro. It's uh, it's amazing, and it's it, everyone knows of the free, uh, just the regular Ninite, um, and that's great. But the Ninite Pro is just so powerful. Um, it, it it identifies the, your current installed third party programs and will update those. And it, and it has a new web interface now that with a dashboard, and it's it's uh, it's quite something. Um, if you don't already have an RMM and you're looking for third-party patch management. I might keep Ninite Pro, even when I find an RMM. Um, I don't know. I, then I also use Automox. Um, that's a, a new software. I just came across it. And coincidentally, the guys that make it are located about 90 minutes north of me in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and the free version of that, which is um, which is free for commercial use, is allows to to check the status of, of Windows patches. So for now, I don't say um, hold up any Windows patching. I don't uh, do, I, I lean forward with, that's my philosophy with patching, lean forward, let's, let's update everything. And as it comes out, when it has to do with security and fixes, um, when it has to do with features like i'm thinking microsoft right now feature updates you know with the pro version of windows 10 i'll uh, enable the the um i'll have it wait for 30 days and now with the creators update they made that kind of squirrely how to do that but but yeah for features i'll definitely postpone that and let <laughs> let the home users agonize over over those bugs so so those Three tools, Splashtop, Ninite Pro, and Automox is what I've been using for my corporate clients or my business clients for the maintenance. And I'm currently evaluating both uh, Ninja and SolarWinds. Okay. You know, here's the thing. When you're talking about using the tools that, that you know, to start off with, I personally, I think that's great that you're using You've, you've found some tools that work for you. It's maybe a little more manual intensive, but that's okay because you really don't need to graduate to another system, to a more automated system, until you run out of bandwidth, which means you have way more clients than you can handle by yourself, and you've got a choice. You can either hire somebody, or you can go out there and find some tools that are a little more automated for you and they're going to take up some of that slack for your business. And so I, I think there's nothing wrong with using that. And I don't know that there's a, I always, I always tell people this, do things manually until you literally can't do them anymore. Then look for automation. It's not something you have to bite off right away. And you can kind of take your time in evaluating some of those services out there and find out what's going to work for you 
And you're also going to hear, you're going to hear everything from good, bad, and indifferent from everybody out there. And you got to kind of parse that information and go, here's what I tell people, use what works for you and whatever that might be. So definitely, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any problem with uh, a more manual approach. In Ninite Pro, the guys, the guys have been on the show a couple of times, and I remember when I first met them, and they, they said that Ninite, and so, yeah, <laughs> not a lot. There's still a lot of people that don't know that. They're like, Ninite, and it's like, I told them, I said, it sounds cooler as Ninite, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Ninite's fine. Oh. So now you've talked about some of the tools, uh, software and stuff that you've used. Are there any tools that you use for cleaning viruses, doing cleanups and all that, that uh, are like your go-to tools right now? I love Windows Repair Toolkit. Um, It's just a portal to software that uh, may or may not be uh, some are and some are not uh, free for commercial use, um, but the I love the WebBrute system analyzer um, the for a quick overview of what's um, you know what gets the green check and what doesn't, it, and um, it, it takes three minutes or less to run um, for drivers. I I. I own Driver Max. I'm not completely sold on it. I I, I use um, you know what I use. I use SDI Origin, and um, and I believe that is free for commercial use, um, it, for for drivers, and um, Crystal Disk Info, Revo Uninstaller, um, uh, the reliability tool that's built into Windows, um, Event Viewer. It's funny. It's easy to overlook event viewer but yeah um i'm not a fan of registry cleaners but i do use c cleaner to remove temp files i i don't use the the registry cleaning aspect of it only because i you just get burned once or twice and then you're like nope um for it's funny for the i, I don't i haven't come across a lot of a lot of bad malware um i you know what i come across yeah i get called for Nowadays, it's the scareware, right? It's it's the you know call this number because Microsoft says you have to, and it's it's a voice talking to you saying this, and those are the big uh, those are the big uh, you know viruses. Um, it's funny. I was t- uh, at the I was at the unconvention, and um, the one of the sponsors was Malwarebytes, and that came up like you know what's the story with scareware and malwarebytes does not consider scareware as a quote virus uh they consider it as malicious advertising and in terms of um technically like how do you identify this uh how do you scan for it how do you actively protect against it and um that's why scare the scareware is is still prevalent and antivirus is not catching it so they're coming up now with ways to identify scareware and and address it real time uh i don't know if it's there yet um but it's it's uh it's coming 
Yeah, and I and I hope somebody cracks that nut because the thing is nowadays there really are not as many viruses, so to speak. In other words, a virus is something that will take over your system. Um, it might, uh, and, I w- and I would consider like a uh, crypto locker or something like that. That would be a virus, something that's going to manipulate your system, delete files, encrypt files, um, take over your network. You know, these are these are real viruses. Most of the stuff we are dealing with nowadays are malware, and it's it's like I tell people, if you have, if I'm on a website and I download a free program. And there's an extra program that comes with that, and it loads into Windows. That's fine, for the most part. Most people don't see a problem right away. It's not until I've done this about five or five or ten times that all of a sudden you've got this poorly written software that's fighting against each other and trying to send out data back to the mothership and go, hey, I'm over here on this system. Check out you know, what's going on over here. And so whether it's for advertising or whatever it is, doesn't really matter. Now it slows the system down and it slows the internet down. And that's usually when somebody actually, people will wait until they get to the point where they literally internet explorer won't get on the internet anymore. And it's not because there's a virus that's broken the system. There is several bad pieces of malware that are fighting and have basically froze everything out on that particular browser. And now we've got to go in and clear all that stuff up and get it back to working like new. So I, and I think nowadays it's, it's fairly easy with the tools that are out there to do that. So we don't have these intense programs where we're having to go in and spend hours like I used to years ago and basically rip out these viruses in the registry and whatnot in order to get a system back up and running. It's it's definitely a lot simpler, in my opinion. Yeah, and that reminds me um, uh, when you said uh, you know contacting the mothership again. The um, there's another tool that I used. Have you heard of NVPS, as in most valuable player? MVPS hosts. No, I have not. It's a. It's. I was, I was reading some forums, and someone was saying, "I just use Windows Defender and MVP hosts." for my family and they've never had a problem. So I was fascinated by that. Now, what it is, is it's a hosts file. It's a giant hosts file with 15,000 entries. You put it in, it gets uh, updated by the author like every couple months and you have it be your hosts file. And essentially what it does is it's a collection of like 15,000 known like ad servers and malicious locations uh, all get redirected just to your local computer if you were to click on a bad advertisement that it you know that it recognizes so like some ad dot server dot com whatever would go just to zero dot zero dot zero dot zero it would never get out and you would get uh, a unresolved a generic windows message about an unresolved dns location or something and it prevents you from even getting to the site in the first place. Similarly, if you were to get a virus um, and it's trying to get back to the mothership, if it's on that list, it's not getting there. So it's it's not free for commercial use. I contacted the um, the author 
and um, I let him know I'm I'm <laughs> I'm still small potatoes. So uh, he he uh, he was really amicable to to having the price reflect that, and I'm thankful for that. But yeah, it's called MVPS Hosts, and again, it's just another tool for for the toolbox. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's very good. It, I, it's funny because I on my own network, I've used OpenDNS for so many years and it's kept basically everything that touches this network fairly safe with using Windows Defender or what was uh whatever Windows Defender was before that uh with Win- Windows 7 and whatnot. And I've really never had a problem on any of my kids' computers, on my computers. Now, everybody always says, well, how do you know? Because I run the same tools that everybody else does on broken computers. And guess what? I find nothing. So um, I feel I'm fairly good at my job. (laughs) And I think I can parse when there's a problem with any of my computers that touch my network. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think as far as the pop-ups, unfortunately... What we're kind of running into is that some of the antivirus companies or anti-malware companies are feeling that it's okay to have pop-ups in their own software, which I absolutely do not understand. We tell the customers all the time, don't click on any pop-ups that pop up on the screen, yet, and and Microsoft does this to a certain extent too, except theirs are, are vastly different than these other things that are popping up whether it's a news article or, or whatever from these different antivirus manufacturers trying to protect the customer. But the reality is don't have a pop-up. It's confusing, especially when we tell them don't touch that pop-up. So you would think they would get it, but they don't. Anyways, that's just, there's just a few things that irritate me every once in a while. That's just one of them. All right. So what's uh you've brought some tools that I've never heard of and that's really cool. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're trying different stuff out there because the one thing is my good friend, John Dubinsky always says, the one thing I know for sure is I don't know everything. I know a lot, but I don't know everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I met John um, for the first time is when I met Taco at the same time. It's like we were waiting to get in um, to, uh, we were early to, to the unconvention one morning and I see Paco. I'd never met either of them. Right. And he goes, I am Paco. And I'm like, I know you're famous. And then, <laughs> and then John says, hi, I'm, I'm John. And I'm like, are you famous? And he's like, no. <laughs> and then I looked up John afterwards. Oh my gosh. He's been a guest on, on so many podcasts. Oh, that's funny. Are you famous? Oh, wow. All right, so now we've talked about some software and hardware that you use. Now, what what types of uh, if, is there anything that we haven't covered as far as what you're doing inside your business? Any things that are working for you? Any things that you've tried so far and said, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. Um, the I'm also evaluating um, repair shopper. My my wife does the invoicing and you know, my, my largest client, which I have my most revenue from it's, it's still, even though the invoicing is similar, you know, it's going to the same place. It's still an Excel spreadsheet to calculate the hours and the hourly rate. And then, you know, brief description and then convert that 
to a PDF and then attach that PDF with photos I take on site and, um, and email it out. And, and again, then there's incorporating that into, um, that data and repeating that into QuickBooks. So repair shopper, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about, um, evaluating it now. It's like, like there's estimates now I can do and and not, not so much for my, um, my, uh, home builder client, but, but for, you know, other clients provide estimates and convert that into, um, a ticket and then convert that into an invoice. And, um, it's like, wow, this is so easy. And, uh, so I think I'm going to go one man army with the repair shopper. I think that would be a good choice there. Yeah, that they definitely, uh, Again, there's one of those things you're uh, you're going to hear from both sides of the coin that a lot of people will say, you know, it's 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 too much or it's not enough. And the, but then there's a whole bunch of people who are completely satisfied with whatever it is they're using. And I, I say this again, you have to use whatever you understand, whatever you're going to use, whatever you're going to add information to. It's like a checklist. A lot of people like to have a uh, to do list or a checklist of, of sorts. But your checklist is only as good as the information that you put down on that checklist. And so for a lot of people that want to have a checklist, they don't put the information down that they need. And so it's absolutely no good to them. So I would rather see people out there using something that's going to work for them and that they understand enough to go. Again, you're not going to understand everything from front to back because let's face it, software, in my opinion, of any sort is hard. And it's definitely not perfect, but it can definitely save you a ton of time. And I know uh, earlier today on our roundtable show, we basically, I talked about that as far as I like the aspect of, I can go to that information very quickly when a customer calls me back and says, Hey, do you remember when, and I'm thinking in my head and go, no, I don't remember when, but let me type your name in and I can find that information out. Oh yeah. I remember now. And it makes it so much more convenient. Well, I I was thinking about um, a a comment you made earlier about um, there's no need to grow beyond the this, your tool set until until um, it's just getting too much work and the automation is is required. And I I was thinking of um, how true that's been for me and is for me, there's another category of reasons why to stretch beyond that. And it is um, if there's opportunity, and there is, with things like supporting clients that have to uh, comply with regulation, like like HIPAA, for example. Um, J. David Sims at the Unconvention gave a... um, (laughs) kind of a jaw-dropping uh, talk about what it takes to uh, be HIPAA compliant as uh, an IT provider for for clients that need to stay compliant. And the thing is, is that I'm thinking, is it worth it? This sounds hard. Is it worth it? And then I'm like, well, you know, you can charge more money for uh, supporting these clients that no, they are no. Nobody likes HIPAA. Uh, it, it seems um, it's like you know. Don't don't use the scary word. Talk about protection and security. Um, so 
it's and it's like well in order to provide the protection and the security of their patient information you you have to use vendors that uh in turn can provide a business associate agreement a baa and i guess it's an acknowledgement that yes uh we're compliant you know the vendors are compliant so if if clockwork networks is using compliant vendors and clockwork networks in turn is being compliant then everything's on the up and up with the good faith and um and so on so my point being is uh that kind of if you're seeking that kind of customer which in turn you can there's an expectation that you can charge more for supporting then that's an excellent reason to uh, maybe push yourself to the to an RMM that can provide that business associate agreement and pr- offer those those tools. And again, it's still on still on me. It's it's still on all of us as IT uh, providers to to stay educated and diligent and don't get in trouble with the feds, right? And um, but I'm excited about that idea because I'm excited about uh, being able to to support this 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 great you know this, this it's not it's not a, it's a huge niche using a niche the word niche is is the wrong word this huge segment right and um, and and learning learning more about what it takes to uh, to support that segment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said it right. Is It is a huge segment as far as there are will always be doctors and dentists and, and people that are dealing with patient records and things that you have to have some sort of HIPAA compliance. You know, it, it's funny because I was listening to another show and basically this person also does uh, IT support. And they were talking about how because they were talking about the Equifax breach. And they were talking about how they have hundreds of clients that are 100% HIPAA compliant, of which I just was like, I can't believe somebody just absolutely just said that. And and this was actually a radio show that was I was listening to in a podcast form. It was a radio show, and I'm like, uh, I've yet to run into anybody that's 100% HIPAA compliant for everything. And I, I just, I haven't seen it. So now maybe there are some out there. I just personally have not seen it. And the people I talk to that do the support, none of them are even saying that, oh yeah, they're a hundred percent. No, there's a lot of caveats in that, but I think you do leave a lot of money on the table if you leave that whole health sector out of it. And so I think there's, it it is a a huge uh, undertaking, but I think the ones that do are going to do very well for themselves. Uh, yes, yeah, I agree. All right, so let's see. Are there any are there any business tips maybe that you've learned over time that you would feel like uh, somebody could uh, gain some knowledge from that you would pass along to others out there? Yes, and of course your mileage will vary, but it's not so much about um, gaining new customers. Um, I started thinking early on that it was about leads groups, say with your local chamber or joining um, a BNI chapter 
And the what's helped a lot, maybe not a lot more, but if you have the bandwidth, if you have the time, um, volunteer. And and I mean, like with your local chamber, they're uh, they have what are called ambassadors, which is a fancy word for volunteer. And you can basically, if you're a member of your chamber uh, for, I believe, at least a year, and um, you can become an ambassador. And essentially what your role is, is to help new chamber members, which by the way, are business owners, um, uh, become educated, help them understand about what benefits the chamber offers them, right? And this is not a leads group or anything. This is you getting face-to-face time with another uh, business owner and talking about something that's not about your business. You're, you're talking about how the, the, the how their, cha- how your chamber is, is able to, to help this business. And it's, it's a trust building time. And when it comes time for them to need IT support, you know, they'll go to the chamber and ask who does it. But even, you know what, what's much more likely, they'll ask you, you know, what do you do? And then that gives you an opportunity to talk about your business for a little bit. And um, I've gotten referrals that way, just by face-to-face, I'm, I'm helping them. And I'm really not you know the the mission isn't to sell myself it's to it's to educate them and uh there's other my town also has a economic development council and uh similarly i i volunteer to sit on the the business retention and expansion committee and this is a way for businesses that in Castle Rock that uh, maybe are new or growing or they have challenges, we bring them in and we hear their story and we try to figure out ways the town uh, services could 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 help them, uh, whether it's police or fire or parking or whatever, um, getting them, if they're looking, if they're seeking young talent, connecting them with maybe something at the um, a community college. Um, this kind of thing. And it's basically a circle of, of business owners. Um, and again, um, you briefly describe who you are, what you do, and it's, it's a trust building period. And so these non leads group, uh, interactions with other businesses is both an excellent way to, to find new business, but also to, to be more, um, uh, more involved in your own in your own town. I think that's great advice because a lot of people will look at what I can get out of whatever group and a lot of times we we sometimes need to get out of our own way and basically this is a great opportunity not only where you are basically networking with others you're learning how to talk you're learning how to communicate you're learning how to have you know be personable and all these different things that we all could use improvement on. None of us are a hundred percent where we're just, Hey, we're so amicable that everybody just loves us, but we can go out there and get more comfortable in talking to people because a lot of people are, will always say, how do I get into businesses? I don't know how to take my IT biz or my IT business into other businesses to support them. Well, a lot of times it's because you need, like you said, you need to, 
you know, rub shoulders with these other business owners in a way that is non-intrusive and helping them and more natural instead of something, a, a forced networking event, which where everybody is required to on a, at a certain extent to pass around the information of that particular group or those particular people. And so I, I think that's great. I think that's a great opportunity. And the thing is, you will always get more out of whatever you put in. And I firmly believe that. And, you know, we can call it whatever we want. But the thing is, when you're putting, when you're putting yourself out there and you're helping others, truly helping others just to help them, the, the rewards that come back to you will be so many that you, you won't even have enough time to, to deal with them all. So I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. So is there anything that we have not touched on that, uh, that you want to mention before we, uh, end off the show here? Um, I, you know, it's really a pleasure to, to, to be part of the show. Thank you very much for, for having me. Um, thanks for, to Paco for, um, saying, Hey, we got to get you on podcast daily. And, uh, uh, while we're at the convention and, um, I'm very thankful. Paco, that guy. (laughs) (laughs) my buddy all right so i appreciate you coming out on the show and sharing with us this is what we do and i love to hear new information i've learned some new things tonight which uh i you know this is why i do the shows because i do learn new things and i enjoy seeing what others are doing out there if you want where could people find you at my website is www.clockwork.com hyphen networks.com and that's probably a great place to start i'm also on facebook but of course there's links to uh my social media at the website awesome well mike i appreciate you coming out and sharing with us today it's been it's been a pleasure all right you guys can find me on the google plus at jeffrey hellish or twitter at TechNutPC. And if you'd like to be a guest like Mike was, send an email to guest at podnuts.com. And I want to thank our sponsor, Instant House Call, for this episode of Podnuts Daily. Don't forget, if you need business paperwork to get you started in your computer repair business, then check out the link for the Technable Computer Business Kit over at podnuts.com slash deals. Help support the Podnuts Network by giving a dollar a month through our subscribe button over at podnuts.com or patreon.com forward slash podnuts. I want to thank everyone for listening and subscribing to the show. We'll see you next time on Podnuts Daily. Music provided by Steve Cherubino at stevecherubino.com.